But we've been in the, the, uh, the book of Romans for 152 messages now. We started back all the way back in January 5th, 2014. So it's been a while. So today it's kind of like saying goodbye to an old friend, you know. Uh, hopefully we'll meet again. But I want to read for us the text of Scripture this morning. We're in Romans chapter 16, and we begin in verse 25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. It's interesting when you figure out once you're finishing this book, it's not so different from when Paul started the book. If you look back at Romans 1 with me real quick, Romans 1, and just read, I'm going to read verses 1 to 6. He ends with the gospel of Christ, and it's like he's done a full circle. That's where he started. He started with the gospel of Christ. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through the prophets in his holy scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He does a full circle, and he ends here with this doxology of praise to God, and that's really what a doxology is. It's a, it's a short poem, a small poem, a praise to the glory of God. Uh, it comes from words meaning glory and speaking or word, and so it, it means to speak of the glory of God. And so he's ending this book on a high note. Uh, the, the benediction refers to the good words from God, and that comes from a Latin background, but it's interesting that Paul here ends with a doxology. And it's, it's really a beautiful doxology, if you think about it. It's, it's a wonderful um, section of Scripture that really speaks to our heart, encourages our heart. There's doxologies found throughout Scripture. If you look through the Psalms, the book of Psalms, and all the different books are basically ends with doxologies. In Psalm 41, 13, the end of the first set of Psalms, it ends with, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, amen and amen. And then in Psalm 72, verses 18 to 19, the second book of Psalms ends with this, Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone works wonders, and blessed be his glorious name forever, and may the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. And then book three of the Psalms ends with this in Psalm 89, verse 52. Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. Book four. Psalm 106, verse 48. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting even to everlasting. And let all the people say... Amen, praise the Lord. That's what it says. Book 5 ends with Psalm 50, which is another grand doxology. But we don't only find doxologies in the Old Testament. They're actually in the New Testament too. At the birth of Christ, the angel declared in Luke chapter 2, a multitude of heavenly hosts were praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. That gives honor and praise to God. Or in Luke chapter 19, 
Verses 37 to 38, when Christ made his triumphal entry. Remember, we just went over this over uh, the resurrection holiday. The whole multitude of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. That's another one in Scripture. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, at the end of the Lord's Prayer, I remember growing up in the Catholic Church, we would recite the Lord's Prayer, and we would say, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. At the end of that. And so, doxologies aren't just found in Paul's writings. They're found throughout Scripture. But what's odd about this is that usually he closes with a benediction, not a doxology. But for whatever reason, he closed with a doxology here. And the subject of this entire book has really been focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ. It really puts a premier importance on the gospel. It's central to all of Paul's teachings, from the very first verse to the very last verse. And that tells us something. I used to go to a conference called Together for the Gospel. And what, the, what that was emphasizing was the gospel of Christ. You could be a Presbyterian, you could be a Baptist, you could be from Calvary Chapel. It didn't matter what your denominational thing, as long as you stood for the gospel of Christ. The problem is, a lot of our churches today don't get the gospel right. They take the gospel and they change it. Because they feel the original gospel might be a little too offensive for people. And unfortunately, when you change the gospel it loses its power. And so we need to make sure that we don't do that, that we tell people the gospel, the good news of Christ, that's what it means, gospel, good news. And it's worth talking about that good news. We don't need to mess with the message. We just need to tell people what God says. It tells us what has been accomplished for us by Christ on the cross. That's what the gospel is. The gospel is simply stated is that, you know what? You are a sinner separated from your God by your sin. And because God, in the goodness and grace of his heart, wants to have a relationship with you, he desires a relationship with you, he provided a way to reconcile that relationship, to bring that relationship back into its proper standing the way it was created to be. And the way he did that was he gave his own son, Jesus Christ, who died on a cross, he not only just died, but on the, he was buried. And then on the third day, the Bible says that what? He rose from the grave. That was like the check being cashed. Okay, it was, it was God's approval of all the work that Christ has done. He had taken upon himself all the sins of all those who would ever put their faith and trust in him for salvation. And he paid their debt on the cross of Calvary. That's what the gospel is. And it's good news because we don't have to go to that cross and die on that cross ourselves physically. He already did that for us. He paid the price for our sin. We used to sing a song in youth camps years ago. He, he owed a, a debt, or we owed a debt he could not, or we could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. You know, when Christ hung on the cross... He didn't deserve that. He willfully went to the cross. He took upon himself all the sins of all those who would ever believe. And he, the spotless son of God, the lamb of God, took upon him all of our sins. Think of the most hideous sin that you've ever committed. Guess what? If you're a believer here today, Christ took that upon himself. He bore the wrath of God for you in your place. See, that's the gospel. That's the good news. And sometimes when we tell people the gospel, we have to relate to them some bad news too, the idea that they're a sinner without any hope outside of Christ. That's not news a lot of times that people will embrace. Sometimes people say, well, no, I'm a good person. No, you're not. No, you're not. Maybe by the world's standards you are, but not by God's standards. Somebody asked me one time, well, how, how good do you have to be to be, get to heaven? I said, you have to be perfect. Are you perfect? No, there's no hope. Well, yeah, there is. Because Christ was perfect. Because he was the spotless son of God. That's what the gospel means. And see, we have to understand that the gospel didn't come out of human origin. 
This isn't a, a, a gospel that we just kind of, some people thought up one day and decided, let's make up this story about God and his son and him dying on Calvary. No, this is, is a supernatural message from God. That's the good news that's worth talking about. You know, it's not like some great philosopher one day was sitting down thinking, oh, I've got to figure out a way to, to help mankind, so I'll think of this, this gospel and I'll say that God had a son, and no, this came from the heart of God himself. It's, it's not a, something that we can discover on our own, all right? And, and it's very important to, to realize that. It's something that was sourced and accomplished, and all the goals, everything, were set down as a standard by God himself. Now, the good thing about the good news is that the salvation that comes through believing the good news does not come by the work of our hands. I mean, think if you had to work for something like that. How long would you have to work to repay for all of your sins, to make payment for all of your sins? I mean, some of us would probably be working a real long time. And then it still wouldn't work. <laughs> because we are insufficient to make payment for our own sins. Because God required a perfect sacrifice. Even if you could die on a cross yourself. Say, I'm going to die for my own sins. Hey, go ahead. Have at it. It's not going to pay for one sin. <laughs> Why? Because you're not perfect. When God brought about the substitutionary system, the idea that someone else can pay, can die in the place of others, the sacrificial system, when that began, it was very contingent upon the sacrifice that it be perfect, that it be spotless. And they had to do their best to bring that lamb that was the best of the lambs, not the mangy-looking thing over in the corner. Okay, that's, that's not what God wants. And so even if we could pay for our own sins, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be enough because it's not a matter of human thought or effort. It's something that God accomplishes in the heart of believers. And so this kind of takes us to where we're at today, the, the message that we want to look at today, Paul's gospel heart. We looked at all these different hearts of, of Paul, and I'm not going to spend the time to read them all. They're in your outline there. But we took time through chapter 16 to look at the different aspects of Paul's heart, because that's really what he's doing in chapter 16. He's pulling back the curtain saying, here's what I'm really about. Here's what my heart really wants you to understand. And so as we look at our text this morning, the first thing we see here, verse 25, now to him who is able, to him who is able. Aren't you glad that we have a God who is able, that he's able to save us? James Montgomery Boyce wrote down a bunch of messages on this, and we're not going to preach all those messages this morning, but I'm just going to give you the, the title of them and the scripture reference that he looked at. First of all, he said that God is able to save. And he looked at Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. If you just look at that, he is able to save to the uttermost. Think if God saved you just partially. Think if God said, you know what? Okay, Steve, I'm going to wipe out all your sins up to the day you came to Christ. That would be a joyous thing. You mean, I don't have any sins in my past? Nothing. Nothing in your past. You've got a clean slate. But you know what, pal? From here to glory, you're on your own. <laughs> I'm not paying for any more sins. I mean, can you imagine the life you would try to lead? You would, it would be miserable. Because you, first of all, you wouldn't be able to do it. You wouldn't be able to live a perfect life. So you knew as soon as you sinned, you would be doomed to hell forever. That wouldn't be salvation. That would be torture. But God is able to save to the uttermost to continually make intercession for them. He doesn't just leave us off on our own. Okay, you're on your way to heaven. Just get out of my space now. I've got to work on somebody else. No, he wants us constantly to have intercession in relationship with him. Secondly, he said that God is able to keep. And we sang about this this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, for I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Paul told Timothy, hey, I don't have any doubt that God is able to save me, that he's going to keep me saved. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, it brings out the idea that God is able to provide the abounding grace that we need. He says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. This is gets, it gets frustrating when I, you run into Christians and they're just, oh, well, it was me, you know, I got so many problems. I mean, read 2 Corinthians 9, 8. God is able to what? Make all grace abound to you. Not some, all of it. So that having all sufficiency in all things, in, at all times, you may abound in every good work. See, we really need to refocus our hearts, our minds, not on the world, not on the trials of this world. Those things are temporary. We need to focus on who we are in Christ. And then also God is able to help us in times of temptation. Hebrews 2.18, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Next time you're tempted to sin, remember, you know what, wait a minute, I don't, I don't have to give in to this sin. Christ is there to help me. He's right there beside me. He's right there within me through the power of the Spirit. I don't have to do this. Also, he's able to accomplish Ephesians 3.12. This has to do with our, even our sanctification. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever amen paul says you know what you have a god who loves you who saved you don't you begin to second guess him now that you're living this christian life and you hit a couple bumps in the road you better remember that he is able to do far more than you you are able to ask or even think think of the wildest thing that you could ask god for he said that doesn't even come close to what i could actually do i mean that's an amazing thing and then he says according to the power at work within us I mean, never forget, believers, that God has given us his Holy Spirit as a deposit within our hearts, within our lives. We don't have to walk through life with our head down, getting beat up by this crazy world with all the sin and trials and temptations. We are children of God. We are saints in Christ. We don't have to give in to to temptations. We can say, you know what? Stop. No, I, I I I have the Holy Spirit within me who's able to accomplish more than I can even ask or think. We need to remember who we are in Christ. And then also, God is able to finish Jude 24, 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to present you blameless. Look at that, blameless. No blame whatsoever. Well, what about when I did no blame whatsoever? Before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Christ Jesus, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen. It tells us here that he is able to keep us saved. Even when we stumble, even when we fall, he's still keeping us in the hollow of his hand. And then also he's able to raise our bodies one day. When our soul goes to be with him and our body is buried or burned up or whatever you do with the the body that's left behind. One day we will have a glorified body. Philippians 3.21 it says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this. Who will transform our lowly body. Are you waiting for that day of transfer? I'll tell you what, I'm waiting for that day. You know, I just, I mean, your, your body gets tired. You know, you can exercise all you want. But you know what? In the end, your body's going to break down. You know, you're, you'll either get skinny as a rail and, and be feeble and, and frigid, or you'll, you'll, you'll put on a couple pounds and, and, and not be healthy that way. But sooner or later, this body is going to break down. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be good stewards of it. I, obviously, we could all do better in that area. But... It's very important to understand that one day God is going to transform this lowly body to
to be like his glorious body. I can't wait for that day. By the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So this is what God is able to do. He is the God who is able. We don't need to worry about that. We don't need to fret about that. That word that he is able really speaks of the power of God. It has the idea that it comes from the Greek where we get dynamite from. Okay, that kind of power that we, we can be strengthened that way by God. Well, then we look at down here a little further. He says, now to him who is able to strengthen you. Okay, and this begins to get into the heart of the gospel. This really is what Paul wants to finish this letter on. And so he lists off several things here, and you have them there in your outline. The first thing is the goal of the gospel. Why, why does the gospel exist? Well, he says here, now to him who is able to strengthen you. That word means established. That word means settled. It means strong, unshakable. It means to, to make fast, to, to, to stabilize. It refers to being mentally settled. It refers to being rooted in the truth of the gospel. See, once you come to Christ through the gospel of Christ, you're not, you don't have to worry about listening to you know, weird doctrines and all that stuff being tossed to and fro. The Bible says don't be like that person. When you set your feet on the solid ground of the gospel of Christ, he strengthens you, it says. He stabilizes you. As believers here, we understand that. I'm sure we could go around the room and share stories when we've been in situations where the normal person would not have been stabilized. The normal person who would not have been strong or established, they would have cowered in disbelief. But as believers, sometimes we're put in certain situations and we walk away and we go, wow, why didn't I freak out when I was in that situation? Why? Because God is strengthening you. See, the unbeliever has no certainty about God. The unbeliever has no certainty about his word. The unbeliever has no certainty about the way of salvation. I mean, can you imagine, Christians, for a minute, God taking all that away from you, and you've just left on your own? Hey, there's a way out there some way, but you've got to figure it out. <laughs> and you've got to figure it out on your own. I'm not helping you one, one second. Once again, that would be miserable. But when God provides salvation for us, he provides this strengthening aspect of the gospel. The majority of mankind, they don't have any interest in finding the true God. They really don't. The Bible says there's none that seeks after God. No, not one. I should say they're, they're perfectly satisfied to sit content in their little religion that they've created in their own mind that makes them feel good about themselves. And usually it's a religion of works. It's a religion that says, if you do this, then you know what? God will love you more this way. That's not what the Bible teaches. Even those who attempt to find God by searching and discernment. Second Timothy, Paul writes this, Second Timothy 3, 7. He says, they're always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. I've met some very, very religious people in my life. And some of them know a whole lot more about the Bible than I could ever even dream of knowing because God has gifted them with an intellect that's far superior to mine. But you know what? They don't have faith in the gospel of Christ. Therefore, there are people that are always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. I mean, I thank God when I see young people come to Christ and they're established in Christ. It's like, man, praise God, they don't have to live their whole life till their 40s or their 50s, and then they discover Christ. That God is there to strengthen them all along the way, to give them wisdom, to settle them, to ground them in the truth. No one but a Christian can be certain about God, certain about his truth, certain about his standards of righteousness, Certain about his love, his care, his concern. 
certain about being with him throughout eternity. I thank God for that certainty all the time. That I can go to home and go to bed not wondering if God is going to save me the next day. That not wondering if God is going to keep me saved throughout the night. The Bible says no. Once you put your faith, your trust in him, as Paul writes in 2 Timothy 1.12, I know him, I, I know whom I have believed and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Well, not only the goal of the gospel here, but look at the source of the gospel. Because he says, it's not only able to strengthen you, and then he says, according to, purpose clause there, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Where does this gospel come from? It doesn't come from a human origin. Paul says, my gospel. He's not speaking of his own view of the gospel. That's not what he's saying. He would never say that as an apostle for Christ. See, if you don't believe the gospel today, you have to understand today, the gospel is for anyone who will have it. The gospel is for anyone who will have it. What Paul is saying here when he says my gospel, he actually means the true gospel. As the context makes clear, the true gospel is Paul's only in the sense that he has appropriated personally. See, just because the gospel exists, it doesn't mean that that you benefit from it unless you appropriate it, unless you reach out and you take it. You, you put your faith, your trust in Christ. You believe the gospel. How do we do that? By faith. How do you do that? You commit your life to Christ. And see, this is what Paul was doing. This is what he was teaching. That's why he called himself an apostle of the gospel, appointed to the gospel of Christ. His gospel was the same as Peter's gospel, John's gospel, and the gospel preached by the other true apostles and teachers. See, and this is what's important to believe and understand today is that just like there's a true gospel out there, Paul is saying, this is my gospel, this is authentic. There are many gospels that are not true. There are many gospels that are false gospels. As he explained to the Galatian believers in Galatians chapter 1, he says, I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. See, our message is not our own thoughts. This message of the gospel, the idea that God would send his son and die on our behalf, we couldn't even come up with that if we wanted to. He says, this is not something that's according to man in Galatians 1. He says, for I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it. Well, how do you, how do you receive the gospel? Then? How do you understand the gospel if, if you can't receive it from man and you can't be taught it? He says, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. See, this should give us hope when we're evangelizing. See, our evangelism efforts do not rely solely on the presentation that we're making or the slick little track that we're giving out or the nice little argument that we learned on YouTube from an apologetic teacher and thinking, oh, I'm going to try that on... That's not what will open up people's eyes. What will open up people's eyes is when God opens their eyes through the revelation of Jesus Christ. He shows them their own sinfulness, and he reveals to them a Savior that he has provided for them. Only that, and that alone, will open somebody's heart and minds to the gospel of Christ. You can argue with people till the cows come home. You can think of all the uh, apologetic arguments in the world, and for every one that you share, they're going to come up with two more arguments against you. Why? Because their heart is not enlightened. Their heart is not opened to the things of Christ. God has to open it. That's why we, before we evangelize, we need to what? We need to spend time in prayer. We need to ask God to do that work ahead of time. So through the gospel of Jesus Christ, when it's properly proclaimed, God, here's what happens. He will take a fallen, corrupted, drifting, insecure, uncertain, chaotic mind that's doomed to hell forever. And what he does is he establishes it forever by his truth and by the power of the Spirit. That, that transformation actually happens. And so when you stop and you read through the book of Romans, you see the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, over and over and over again. From the very beginning to the very end. 
And this means that it's a message that's from God. It's a divine message. It's not a message that man thought up. It's nor not human in its power or its objective. This is good news that comes from God and God alone. And that's why when we share it, we should share it confidently. We shouldn't cower and, oh, it's going to offend somebody. Hey, if it offends them, it offends them. Well, not only do we see the source of the gospel, that it's Paul's gospel and it's through the preaching of Jesus Christ, it comes from God, but there's also a mystery here that he speaks about. According to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known. When you think of a mystery, the thing that pops in my mind is the movie uh, Private Eyes, with, I think it was called Private Eyes, with Don Knotts and, and Tim Conway. There were detectives, this haphazard detective. I think, I think that was the name of it. It's a funny movie. And from the very beginning, you know, the, they go to this old house and people start, uh, there's a murderer in the house. So they start knocking people off and they're trying to figure out haphazardly, uh, you can imagine the comedy involved, how to do it. That's not what we're talking about here. Mystery basically means this. It refers to something that has been hidden, but has now been made known. It refers to something that has been hidden, but now is made known. There are many mysteries in the Bible. Most of them are in Paul's writings, by the way. The question here is what specifically, what mystery is Paul referring to? Uh, The only time that he has used the word mystery in Romans is in chapter 11, remember, when we talked about where he referred to the the temporary hardening of the Jews. In other words, he he gave the Jews his word, and they kind of weren't good stewards of it. And so what he did was he he hardened uh, the Jews' heart, and he went to the Gentiles, and then the Gentiles started to get saved, and then the Jews became jealous because the Gentiles were getting saved. And in the end, it made them so jealous, they're saved in the end. So it's only God could think of of, of a plan like that. But that's what he says in in Romans chapter 11, verse 25, until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. In other words, that was a mystery. How are these Jews coming into this relationship with Christ? I mean, or how are these Gentiles coming into relationship with Christ? Because as a Jew, that would just never happen. They were second-class citizens. The mystery was that God was going to extend salvation to the Gentiles as well as the Jews. That's what he talked about in Romans 11. And its idea is mostly unknown or at least not understood until Jesus actually came, opened the door to the Gentiles, gave the great commission to take the gospel to what? All the world, all the peoples of the world. You don't just go to Israel to share the gospel, you go everywhere. So what is he talking about here? Well, James Montgomery Boyce says this. Most students of Romans think that Paul is instead talking about the gospel of salvation from sin through the work of Christ, which he has been, uh, which has been the theme of the letter. That's true. But then he goes on. He says, but the problem with this view is in seeing how this gospel can be said to have been hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings, and he lists some questions. He says, if it was hidden for long ages past, how can it be said to have been revealed by the prophets? You can't have it both ways. You can't have it hidden and revealed. If it, had, if it has been, it was not hidden. Or again, how can it even be said to have been hidden before the prophets? When you think back, the first time the gospel is really presented, it's all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And it's mentioned throughout the Old Testament. So that's not really the case. Uh, Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 to 11, says this, The prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the suffering of Christ and the glories that would follow. See, God began to reveal this gospel even in the Old Testament period. So what does this 
mean? What is he talking about here when he says the mystery that is revealed? Well, I think he's simply talking about the idea that the mystery of the gospel, the idea that when we come to Christ, it doesn't make logical sense. You know, when you share the gospel with somebody, when you say, hey, yeah, uh, you know, God loves you and uh, he, he wants to forgive your sin, usually people say, well, why? <laughs> what do I have to do? Just tell me the steps. Well, you don't really have to do anything. He, he wants to give you his grace. Basically, you have to admit you're a sinner. You have to come before him and fall down and, and acknowledge his work on the cross. You mean I don't have to join a church? No. Do I have to get baptized? No. Do I have to take communion? No. What do I have to do? You have to trust him. Just trust him. What's the catch? It doesn't make any sense. People don't. Why? Because our society, the world is used to what? We're used to working for things. So if you can come up with a religion that says, hey, you know what? God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life. But you know what? You got to come to church every Sunday. Okay, I can do that. And uh, take communion once a month. Oh, I can do that. And go to confession. Oh, I can do that too. What happens? It feeds our ego. We think, oh, that makes sense. But when we tell somebody, you know what? There's nothing you can do in and of yourself for this salvation. It's something God does for you and he does in you. He does it as a result of his love, his grace. See, that's the mystery here. That's, that's, the, that's the oddity of the gospel according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages. But has now been disclosed how? Through the prophetic writings that has been made known. See, the one, the one reason that we understand the gospel now is because... We now have the writings, we have the scriptures, we have the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to put two and two together, okay, and figure this out. But even with all the, the stuff we have, it still takes the supernatural hand of God in somebody's heart to open up their eyes to the gospel of Christ. That's the mystery. That's, that's the amazing work of the gospel in the human heart that Paul is talking about here. It's not something you can work for. It's not something you can pay for. The only way you can receive this, the Bible says, is by faith. Through grace. And since Jesus... The time Jesus has come, it's fulfilled, and the Holy Spirit has given to us. We can understand this relatively easy. But someone who doesn't have the Holy Spirit is not familiar with sacred writings, the Bible, scriptures. When you first share the gospel with them, they're shaking their head, scratching their head, going, what are you talking about? Well, it's not only the mystery of the gospel, but also the scope of the gospel. He says here that it should be made known to who? To all nations. To all nations. The gospel doesn't exclude. The gospel is not exclusive just to a certain group of people. The gospel is a message of hope and forgiveness to all those who would come to faith in Christ. And he says right there, it's it's for all nations. It was made known to all nations. That's why missions are important, because it's not just people in the United States that God is saving. God is saving people all over the world. And there are some parts of the world that God desires to save people, and yet, you know what? There's nobody there to give them the gospel. That's why we have missions. And you say, well, God, couldn't God save them anyway? Not without the gospel, he couldn't. No. They need to hear the gospel. See, that's why you have to be careful when you hear of certain people today, even in our modern churches, you hear these testimonies from people. Yeah, you know, I didn't know any, I don't know who Jesus was, didn't ever heard the gospel, and I just had a dream. And then I was saved. Well, how were you saved? They don't talk about their sin. They don't talk about repenting. They don't talk about embracing Christ. They don't, well, I just had this dream. 
Now, could God do something like that? I, I guess he could. But it's definitely not in the normal purview of what Scripture teaches how it's done. And so we have to be very, very careful when you hear stories like that. Because it almost makes it sound like, well, we don't need the Bible. We don't need the church. We don't need the gospel. God's just going to do it through dreams or through visions or through whatever. But that's not the prescribed method in Scripture that we see here. And so the scope of the gospel is everyone. That message should penetrate the hearts of all. Now, who will be saved? Well, not everyone, clearly. Those who are elect before the foundation of the world will be saved. Well, then why do we have to share the message with everyone? Because we don't know who they are. The last time I checked, you know, little babies don't come out of the womb with a little E on their forehead saying, I'm an elect child, you know, and then non-elect for N on their forehead. It doesn't happen that way. God doesn't share with us his broader plan of salvation. We don't know who is elect before the foundation of the world and, and who is not. Therefore, we should share the message of the gospel with a passion and a fervor to everybody. Because you never know when that person will drop to their knees and go, wow, thank you for sharing with me. You know, it's not going to be every person. It's not even going to be every other person. Because the last time I checked in the Bible, it says few are those that find the narrow way. Few, few. That means not a, not a lot. <laughs> you know, so when you see these mega churches full with people, overflowing And then you listen to the message and you're going, hmm, how does that work? They don't even share the gospel. They're teaching some pop psychology stuff. How to have your best life now or whatever. Why is this church full? I I just would not want to be that individual to have to stand before God one day. And to be able to garner a crowd like that and not have the wherewithal to share with them the truth of the word of God. Why would you do that? But That's exactly what they do. Because they're not interested in the truth of God. They're interested in the almighty dollar. Sad, but true. So the gospel is for all nations. Next thing here, the mandate of the gospel. <clears throat> Why is this important? Because it says it's according, uh, <clears throat> but now has been disclosed through the prophetic writing, have been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God. You know, this isn't an optional thing. This is not something that we can just say, well, we'll just leave this part out. It's nice to get together and sing songs and have communion and do all that, you know, the gospel. No, we are mandated by God according to the command of the eternal God to go and share the gospel of Christ. This is not an optional thing for believers. I was talking to one person one time and they were telling me they were a Christian. And I said that they worked at a certain place. And I said, well, that must be hard. Wow. I, I might say I'm kind of an undercover Christian at work. That's what they said. I said You're a what? Well, undercover, I, nobody knows I'm a Christian. Why? Well, you know, it wouldn't go over well. It was just, you know, they did a certain job. And I thought, how can you even say that with a straight face? I mean, why would you hide the fact that you're, Saved by the grace of God that you have a message of hope and forgiveness for a lost and dying world. Why would you not heed the mandate of the gospel according to the command of the eternal God who saved you? That is just so odd. I mean, it would be like having the cure for cancer and saying, well, I just don't want to share it with anybody. I just want to keep it to myself. (laughs) I mean, that's horrible. So we see the mandate of the gospel. It's according to the command of the eternal God. And by the way, the message is eternal as well. The gospel doesn't change. The gospel's been the same from the very beginning. You know, we don't need to make the gospel relevant. We don't need to make the scriptures relevant. They are relevant. And then the purpose of the the gospel here we see in closing to bring about the obedience of what? Faith. To bring about the obedience of faith. Why did God give us the gospel? So that we could obey the gospel. That's why. I mean, if nobody was going to obey the gospel, then he would never have given the, given the gospel. But 
He desires us to obey the gospel of Christ. He desires us to come to his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, admit our own sinfulness before a holy God and say, you know what, Lord? I want to turn away from my sins and I want to turn to a savior. And the moment you do that, the moment you understand that you're, you can't work for this salvation, it's not going to, you know, you can't do, do something to earn it. That's not going to work out in the end. The Bible says our, our works are like filthy rags before a holy God outside of Christ. He says, just obey the gospel. Obey it out of faith. Don't make it harder than it has to be. Just trust God. That's, that's, you know, I mean, I've never seen God. I've never talked to God. I mean, he, he doesn't have coffee with me every morning. I don't, I don't know how this world was created by the fact of my, my, my mind. I, I, I've never seen it happen. I, I wasn't there back in Genesis when God created the world. Wow, that, look at that. That's cool. I never saw that firsthand. But why do I believe it? I believe it because of faith. I believe it because I have faith in the scripture that is true. And so when you come to the gospel, you have to come to some point in your life when you realize, yeah, you know what? I might be a really, 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 really good person, but I'm not perfect. Have you ever sinned? Have you ever told a lie? Have you ever taken anything irrespective of its value? Have you ever had a lustful thought? Whatever it might be, that little sin disqualifies you from being perfect. And that's why the gospel is given, so that we can obey the gospel, that we can come to Christ. He says, what? Your burden is heavy. Come to me. My burden's light. You're thirsty. Come to me. You'll never thirst again. See, that's the glorious message and purpose of the gospel, to bring about the obedience of faith. And then in the end here, Paul closes out with this glorious ending, the glory of the gospel. He says, to the only wise God. The only wise God. See, once you become a Christian, you're immediately kind of tapped into God's wisdom. You don't have to rely on your own wisdom anymore. You have a spirit within you. You have a, a scriptures that give you wisdom for living each and every day. And guess what? That wisdom doesn't come from us. It comes from the only wise God. In other words, he is wise above all others. That's what that means. There's no one wiser than God. To be glory forever, forevermore through Jesus Christ. See, Paul is saying, look, you know what? This whole, this whole book of Romans was about the gospel from verse 1 all the way down to verse 27 of chapter 16. It's about the gospel. And his second message is, you know what? It's not about you. <laughs> it's not about you. It's about God. It's about God's glory. God doesn't save you just to keep you out of hell. That's not why he saves you. He saves you for his glory. He saves you so that you can be useful for his kingdom. He gifts you with certain abilities. Why? For his glory. That's the glory of the gospel. And not just in this life, but he says forevermore. Forevermore. You know, sometimes we... We think of heaven and we think somehow we're going to be up there kind of walking around puffing our chest again. Yeah, I'm here in heaven. No. We're going to be humbly bowing before the throne of Christ and God, realizing that, you know what, if it wasn't for his grace, if it wasn't for his goodness, if it wasn't for his glory, his forgiveness, we wouldn't even be there. And that's going to go on for all eternity. And you notice he says, through Jesus Christ. John MacArthur wrote a very controversial book. It shouldn't have been controversial, but it was. One way. <laughs> Why only one way? Speaking about there's salvation in no other, except through Christ. That's it. Well, what about the people? What about the Hindus? Well, they better figure it out. It can be a world of hurt if they don't. Well, what about the Muslims? Same thing. There's one way of salvation. That is through the Lord Jesus Christ. That is through the message of the cross. That is through the gospel. 
And if you're unwilling to come that way, there's no other option. You know, I remember watching The Price, Price is Right. You know, door three. You know, Carol Barrel or whatever her name was. She'd stand up there. Well, what do you want between, behind door one? And they'd, they'd pick these different doors. That's how we approach sometimes our salvation, our religion. We think, well, if we just pick the right one, and if we're genuine enough, and we're just faithful to that, that in the end, God will understand. No, he will not. He will not understand anything other than an affirmative answer to the question, what did you do with my son, the Lord Jesus Christ? Is he the way that you're here? Because if it's not, see you later. You have no place here. We need to be reminded of that, and we need to be emboldened when we share this message with those who are lost. Because by, by changing it up, by making it a little soft around the edges... That doesn't help those folks. That really enables them to continue in their disbelief. I would rather lose a friend by being bold with the gospel than stringing somebody along for years and having them die and go to a a Christless eternity. We need to think about that thing. Father, we thank you today that you would just, as we conclude this book, embolden us to share the gospel of, of Christ Lord, uh, it was really the whole subject matter of the book of Romans in these many years we've been in this book. And, and Lord, as we conclude today, I pray that you would drive its message even deeper into our hearts, into our lives. That we would recognize when we leave these four walls that we go out into a lost and dying world that's filled with sin. Mostly dishonoring to you. And yet you've strategically placed us here as salt and light that we should affect change by sharing your gospel. Lord, that you, you desire to use us in this process kind of as a link in a chain just to share one more aspect of the gospel with someone. And maybe that's the day they finally believe. Maybe that's the day you finally switch, turn that heart around, transform that heart. What a glorious thing it is to be part of that process that you've called us to be. And so, Father, we just pray for anyone here today who's yet to believe in Christ as their Savior, that you would prompt their heart to cry out to you, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Help me to turn from my sin to the Savior. Help me to commit my life wholeheartedly to follow Christ. Even even though you may not know all the information you need to know, you do know that you're a sinner and that God provides a way out of your sin through a Savior named Jesus Christ. And for believers, I just pray that we would be bold as we leave here, not just in the way we speak through our lips, but also through our lives, that we would live lives that are uncompromising and untainted from this world. Help us to do that for your glory. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.